Welcome to the Sales History Podcast with your host, author of The Transparency Sale and The Transparent Sales Leader, Todd Capone. Each episode brings you the incredible and sometimes strange minds, philosophies, and approaches from sales history's past with relevance to today. Here's Todd. Welcome back to the Sales History Podcast. And before we start, a couple of quick announcements. Number one, my new book, The Transparent Sales Leader, is now out. So you can get it on Amazon or wherever books are sold. We had to do a short run release of the paperbacks because of printing and supply chain issues. So it's sold, if it's sold out, be patient. There's a lot more coming, including a hardcover. And I am getting into a studio to record the audio book here really soon. And number two is, as a result, I've been a little bit more sporadic with releasing episodes of the Sales History Podcast, so be patient with me. There's another load of them that I'm starting to work on, lots of good ideas for another season. And for today, the topic is sales forecasting, which is the bane of the existence of nearly every sales leader I've ever met. Literally, I've never talked to a sales leader that has it perfectly nailed. And then it hit me. What is a struggle today does not appear to have been a struggle for early 1900 sales leaders. Back then when there was no CRM, you know, customer relationship management technology, there was no forecasting calls. You're not going to get on a conference call. There was no means of communication. There was no Slack. Uh, The only way you were going to communicate is via a wire, but yet... When I go through all of my books and the whole catalog of early 1900s magazines, forecasting as a struggle was not even something they talked about. Well, all the other issues that we face today are continually the ones that they were facing back then. So I had to dig in. Why do we get sales forecasting so wrong? And even more interestingly, why in the annals of sales history... Was it not the source of consternation? It is across B2B selling organizations today. And I think I put my finger on it. It starts with Alec Baldwin. And we've talked about Blake, played by uh, Alec Baldwin in the movie Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross before. Uh, But I want to dig into something that he said that I think is really, really interesting. Now, you remember the scene. It's abusive where Blake comes in and berates the entire sales team and goes through this profanity-laced tirade. I mean, I watched it again a couple weeks ago and I cried myself to sleep afterwards. But I figured out that there's one part that he got right. As you remember, he's got a chalkboard up and it's got ABC, Always Be Closing. And then next to it, he's got AIDA. A-I-D-A, attention, interest, decision, action. Right, and he goes into this rant. Attention, do I have your attention? Interested, are you interested? I know you are. He did get one word wrong in the A-I-D-A, which I'm going to explain here in a minute. But as it turns out, as you read through all of these early 1900s and even late 1800s books and magazines, A-I-D-A was the basis for every sales process and every approach to sales forecasting from at least 1900 through, from what I can find, even the early 1940s. Every single one. Now, this started with a guy named Elias St. Elmo Lewis. 
And he was the first known to theorize back in 1898 that every buyer goes through four stages during a potential purchase. They will first pay attention, which then leads to interest. That interest turns to desire, not decision, as Blake charts out in his chalkboard uh, abusive rant. And then finally, they take action. So AIDA in 1898 was attention, interest, desire, action. And as I mentioned, Elias St. Elmo Lewis said that every buyer goes through those four stages. Now, as it turns out, every writer on sales from that whole period, the whole first part of the 20th century, conceded to this fact. Magazines and books, all of them outlined the process in exactly the same way, including classic 100-plus-year-old sales literature like salesmanship magazines from 1905 to 1909 talked about AIDA as the sales process and the way that they thought about forecasting. Norris Briscoe, in his book, Fundamentals of Salesmanship in 1916, goes through the exact same thing, AIDA. Arthur Dunn's book, Scientific Selling and Advertising from 1919, again, the exact same thing. And Norval Hawkins, his book, The Selling Process in 1920. Now, I could go on and on and on with this, and there are some iterations where they would change the, uh, the you know, a word or two in it. However, it was always AIDA at its core. One of the interesting ones is in 1924, Elmer Ellsworth Ferris talked about AIDA in his book, Salesmanship. Again, so many of these books were called Salesmanships, but he had a quote in it that says, quote, all writers on salesmanship concede that in every sale, the mind of the customer will pass through four different stages. And then he's got a chart and across the top, it's attention, interest, desire, and action. And it's all on a bed of growing confidence by the buyer. And then there's a foundational piece that's called service, which as we've talked about with Arthur Sheldon, the science of salesmanship is service. AIDA was a systemic focus by sellers and sales organizations on recognizing buyer states and buyer behavior. All right, I want you to hear that again because that is the difference. Progress through a buying journey and all the endorphins that go along with it was based on salespeople understanding and empathizing with these four stages and driving their messaging and positioning accordingly. Their forecasts were based on matching up those four stages against recognition of where buyers were along their AIDA path. So at its core, forecasting when a buyer might buy and for how much was based on what the buyer is doing, not what the seller is doing. AIDA, buyer focus. Every process, every writer, all of them. Today, Tell me about a writer on the subject of sales that refers to AIDA in any book anywhere. There's none. There's zero. AIDA went from being the core foundational element of process and forecasting to completely disappearing and becoming a joke because of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Could those CRM or customer relationship management systems that we talked about earlier be the source of the vanishing of AIDA? I mean, starting in 1993 with the first true corporate-worthy CRM system from Siebel, 
followed by Salesforce in 1999, and then an entire host of others. You know, each of them is configured out of the box for staging and forecasting based on seller activity, not buyer activity, right? I mean, Salesforce still preaches the stages in their articles and posts, which I'm reading still now, which are all selling activities. Which of these are about recognizing buyer behavior versus assembly line type seller activities? Stage one, prospecting. Stage two, qualification. Stage three, demo. Stage four, proposal. Stage five, negotiating. And then opportunity one. The buyer didn't win. They're not ringing the bell in their office, right? They're all seller-based activities. Can it be any wonder why forecasting is so hard? I mean, forecasting when a buyer might buy based on what a seller is doing? Of course, that's going to make things wonky. I mean, how am I the only one that's yelling about this or realizing this? You know, a few weeks ago, I did a opening keynote at Sales Assembly's Remix event. Now, I was quoted in a post as saying, quote, you don't actually care about your buyers if all of your sales processes are seller-centric. That was not meant to be a provocative system. What I meant was, how can we preach buyer-centric in our selling efforts when every milestone and endorphin rush for a seller along the journey is based on their own milestones? It's systemic. We can fix this. And my new book that just came out, The Transparent Sales Leader, I dedicate an entire chapter to changing the traditional forecasting approaches. And this isn't meant to be shameless self-promotion, but... I dedicate an entire chapter to changing traditional forecasting approaches. And it it doesn't mean throwing out your entire forecast staging, but it does mean overlaying the buyer behavior along the top. I'm a believer in the buying journey recognition that is AIDA, but with, a, I guess, a more modern spin that buyers go through a why change. They decide whether or not change in their current status quo is worth changing. And then they go to why you, They decide what their options are, and then they go to why now. Now, I'll argue you all day long about that order, and there's a a behavioral science element as to why, but what buyer stages are represented by those CRM stages? I mean, you're probably doing qualification during the why change stage, right? You're likely doing a demo and proposal during the why you stage in many cases, and negotiating and closing are kind of the why now. I would just love your thoughts. Am I wrong here? Why would forecasting not be an issue 100 years ago, pre-CRM systems, but a big problem now with all of our AI and CRM systems? I'm confident it starts with our seller-centric focus. It's the one thing they got right 100 years ago, amongst many other things, that we get wrong today. If you're interested in digging in more into how to really optimize your forecast within your organization, I've got a whole chapter dedicated to it in the new book. I also do workshops and keynotes around all of these concepts of the Transparent Sales Leader, which is now available wherever you buy books. If you haven't bought it yet, I think you're going to like it, especially if you like this podcast. I do have sales history sprinkled in. The book at its core is the modern structure of sales leadership, easily done, all optimized by behavioral science on a bed of sincerity and transparency. If you have bought it, thank you so much. I sincerely hope you love it. 
you really embrace it, I think it's going to make a difference for you through the rest of your career and those you lead. And if you really want to be helpful, I would appreciate it if you would leave a review where you bought the book. Not only because it helps me, but it'll help other people that are thinking about investing in their own personal development and in making the right choice. So thanks again to listen to this episode of the Sales History Podcast. Like I said, I might be a little sporadic here, but there is more to come. And I so appreciate you spending your time. And if you've got thoughts, feedback, ideas, please reach out. ToddCapone.com. You can connect with me through there or I'm kind of everywhere annoyingly. So feel free to reach out. Thanks again. Thanks again.